Votive Railings by S.M. Swaby I started going back to where it happened. Of course I did. There was nothing of Amy at home anymore, just a desolate, silent space of empty rooms, blank ceilings and a few photographs of three strangers, laughing and smiling together as if it would always be that way. Natalie withdrew completely after it occurred, turning inwards, turning away. Finally rejecting me with a newfound stoic determination, my voice, my touch, my very existence were no longer wanted. I was only acknowledged during the eruptions of grief and recrimination that pockmarked those first few scorch-earth weeks afterwards. All we had once been was gone, and I was nothing more than a grotesque reminder, at best a crude cross to nail all the wordless guilt and blame to. We'd been having problems even before. Who doesn't after twelve years together? But now she just gave up. We both did. And the world turned and took her from me, sliding away into the endless shadow of night. When she left, it seemed the only logical conclusion. Door closing, no last embrace, no goodbye. It was better that way. And now we could both concentrate on living with our own private pain and not have to deal with the terrible weight of what we'd carried between us. The bleak bleak atrocity of having to look at each other in the eye every day and know that it had been all for nothing. We had washed up on extinction's shore with dry mouths, hollow hearts and souls stunted beyond all hope of repair. The driver had been on immobile at the time, arguing with her boyfriend about whose turn it was to cook dinner that night apparently. Took the corner too fast, wasn't looking when the little girl in the red coat darted out on her bike, reacted too late too busy to adding her voice to the chittering white noise chorus of daily life, the worthless, meaningless, instantly evaporating babble of minutiae. Can't ever get my head around the fact that such random, innocuous banality could ever so inextricably be connected with something as terrible as the death of my only child. It's your turn to cook. No, it's your turn. In court she would have cried and cried, that young girl, the very model of remorse, and I would have believed her too. She was just unlucky. We all were. She would even sob on my shoulder outside after the hearing, as if she was the one who would deserve the meaningless litany of comforting words that would creep out on the limp parade in the aftermath. When everybody knows, there's really nothing you can say. Not ever. I knew I would have held her as she cried and watched Natalie already walking away down the street, spectral and remote, nothing more than a vague palimpsest of the woman I'd once married, just visible one last time over the shoulder of the weeping girl, who'd taken Amy from me. And what was she like, my girl? Describing her is not possible. I could try. But I know words are just a broken back cascade of inarticulate sounds emptying into the void she'd left behind. None of them could work, could do justice to something that goes so deep, so far beyond the inadequacies of language. Some things just cannot be said. You're supposed to gather up the pieces of your life and move on, aren't you? But some people can't move on. The pain of loss is too great, it becomes something kinetic, something made worse by the slightest movement, like opening your eyes in the morning and realising it's not just a bad dream and never will be. You are alone in this world and all you have is pain. The first time I returned it was seeing the flowers tied to the railwinds that did it. Seeing them already faded and disappearing that just killed the very last thing in me. Amy had been forgotten in moments and the world moved on with an indifference so vast it made me dizzy. Nothing stopped. Nothing changed. High Street South carried on regardless, ignoring me by the roadside. Me with my insides torn out, nothing left there but hollow, ragged pain. 
How could the world not see all that? How blind or indifferent do you have to be? The words of condolence from strangers on the little cards had lost their form and sense after a few days of rain. They became something else, complex tiny deltas of black and blue ink, hieroglyphs which no interpreter would ever come, and the relentless passing tide of traffic sprayed black sheets of water at every rush hour high tide through that storm-battered dune of slate skies and flint-jagged days. The cruelest irony. The traffic that killed her now erased her memorials with the same blank, ruthless indifference. It took her then removed all evidence of the crime. I fought back for days, for weeks, with fresh bouquets, tying them to the railings in quiet rage, the sprays of bright new petals defiantly facing the never-ceasing snarl of the junction, a delicate semaphore of protest, refusing to let her memory go, and every time they'd be whipped, stained, beaten and shredded to a shoddy bundle of faded scarecrow-fingered stalks in days. Some were stolen. Yes, there really are people that low out there. So eventually I began to realise I could never keep her in this world with the flowers. Neither are the clothes and toys, neither with the mangled bike or the photos at home that was no longer a home. And certainly never with the pitiful plague in the grounds of the crematorium where we'd committed the wreck of her little body that numb Thursday. When we sent her to the furnace somewhere beyond the automated whisper of those heavy closing drapes and the pathetically compressed tinny refrain of her favourite song, none of those things would do it. And I realised that the day I saw her, the day everything changed. It was so fleeting, it could so easily have been missed. I'd finished tying the bouquet, had turned to go, crossing the road, but I looked back. Something made me look back. I caught sight of, well, maybe just felt, someone standing by the railings watching me. It was my Amy. Wearing the same red coat she was killed in, smiling her old smile as if she'd come back to me, and everything was as before, everything was all right. The little girl I'd created ten years before, corporeal, solid, logic-defyingly real on the pavement in the middle of the day. One electrifying moment as our eyes met, and then she was sheared from view by a snarling goods lorry passing between us. Just for a moment or so. But when it passed, she'd gone. Just gone. I ran across without a second thought, frantic, dodging the cursing traffic, but there was no trace of her on that spot, nor up and down the street. But it didn't matter. I knew what I'd seen and what had just happened and I sat down on the spot and just cried and cried and it was more joy and relief now than grief. A softer tide of benediction breaking across my ravaged inside soothing past the months away. I had just an absolute proof that she continued to exist. Somehow, somewhere, she wasn't lost to me after all. So I knew now there was another way. There was an answer to the pain. I didn't have to face the other path. That expected furrow of plucky recovery and soldiering on at work, enduring the sympathetic, uncomfortable smiles for a few months, the inevitable defeated slide towards the bottle, shuffling down the years ahead on a well-worn path between work, off-licence, dead house, dead heart. This life had been revealed for what it is, no more than bared teeth and cold shoulders, no matter how we try to disguise it or fill it with meaning. The years spoon the soil over our heads, each grain a disappointment, a failure, a dream never won. And we're slowly weighed down from systole to diastole, with every beat held tighter in the gathering darkness, until what little light we have left finally goes out. 
Fuck all that, frankly. Amy had shown me there was another way. All I had to do was turn up every day, never give up, never stop waiting for her to return again. Back against the railings and next time I'd be ready. I'd see her and I'd be there for her, be with her. Eventually I stopped going back to the house at all. The house with its flashing answering machine like some distant lighthouse warning of rocks ahead, a warning now all too late, and the debris of unopened post building a blank coastline across the hallway, a new geography that existed because she didn't. These things were no longer even irritants, they were meaningless and had to be abandoned. I couldn't miss a chance of seeing her. Every moment I was back there entombed in those rooms I just worried she'd be showing up by the road with no one to greet her to love her. I panicked that I'd missed the crucial moment. So I had to make my vigil permanent. As long as it takes, I told myself, and I meant it. Take your place. Sit down. Wait. Back against the railings, put in the hours, do the time, do it for her. And that's how my vigil began. I think it was August by then. Must be, what, November by now? It's dark early, it's colder, the street has changed with the season. But I'm here still. Facing the traffic in Russia every day, the same black waves endlessly breaking on an asphalt shoreline, the A-road flyover roaring above the end of the street with all the impotent fury of some vast caged animal made endless lines of cars, all busy going nowhere. And me, like some sort of grave canute at the curb, defying it with the very fact of my existence, my back against the railings. Beyond them, below the bank, lies the neglected nettle-choked sprawl of the old Magdalen graveyard, where shadows eddy between dying sycamore leaves at season's end. And those dying leaves, they have a voice. I hear it daily now in the brief lulls in traffic and in the slowing towards silence that marks a small hour's span of calm. A dry susurrus of secrets, last leaves that cling and whisper like a worn-out recording of trees in the summer a sound faded by memory, made thin and old by time and repetition. I know Magdalen is there. I feel the looming Norman edifice of the church and the frigid bone-white glare of the headstones beating at the back of my head every day. But I never look behind me. I'm afraid of missing the moment she'll appear. I keep my attention where it matters. At first I was often transfixed by the gutter, the glitter and sparkle of the stray nuggets of headlamp glass that lay there, the fragments that had been swept to one side but had escaped. Maybe from some anonymous past collision, maybe from the impact with Amy's bike or body, like the split contents of some looted treasure chest, the few small jewels never plundered lying there in the empty coke can and the relic sweet wrappers, ignored by the indolent sweet ro ro road sweepers on autopilot rounds. Gradually dispersed, reduced, removed. They vanished in time, all those glass nuggets, and when they finally did, I finally realised why I'd been staring at them for so long. They were my cue. I realised that just being here at the scene, leaning back against those railings, it wasn't enough. I'd been doing it the wrong way, staying visible when it needed the opposite. I have to become part of this place to be with her. I have to become invisible. Night before last I was attacked and beaten, two of them, drunk or fucked up on something I suppose. No reason, I was just there and they had an inarticulate curdling rage to bleed away. This took me for a homeless and easy target, kicks and punches in the sickly tainted dark between street lights, just another kind of rain in the end, bad weather that passes. They were quick and brutal and soon gone, trailing sweaty laughter that died on the air. It was random and meaningless but I had cuts bruised ribs, hands and a swollen face to show the world at dawn. 
one eye closed, sealed off by so swollen skin. And people ignore me all the more now. My appearance pushes me further away from their world and makes me slide into the pariah zone. But I know that this is too okay. It's all right. It's the last stage necessary to bring me to the moment of change. Like the sloughing off of old skin for the moment of moving on. To become a fixed point. Do you see what I'm saying? To become invisible to every passerby. To concentrate on nothing else until I become an extension of this space where I sit until I merge with the roadside between railing and pavement and curb. Day by day now, through the vigil, I'm willing myself to become part of the space that will welcome her back. And once part of it, I'll need never leave it. Need never risk missing the moment she comes back for me. Not for Natalie, the mother who turned her back, just for me. Me. It's happening now, right now. The hunger and pain of my physical body feel remote, and seen from far off diminishing as they slip away from me between the cracks in the pavement. And it's accelerating this process, I can feel it. When I get my breathing right, shallow and slow, and hold my line of sight at the correct angle, like this. When I stretch my hands out, palms down, I can see them on the periphery of vision, the first traces of the cracks between the pavement slabs running from knuckles to wrists, bisecting their old span, gradually changing their shape, mottling on the skin that looks like the hard grey lichen scabs of old chewing gum, my feet stretching out like sundials catching shadows in the weak autumn sun. Following the line of light, marking time until they become as insubstantial as the shadows themselves. Stand across the street now and you could probably see the old black railings beginning to strafe my ribcage and divide my skull. I am becoming this place, this sterile riverbed of hot tarmac and arid concrete that has never known love until now. I give myself to it. Soon you won't notice me at all. And I wonder, just how many other patient grievers have taken the same route, have taken the same path of vigil after being shown the way by a glimpse of their departed loved ones? fading from view, just beyond the stream and the shoal of everyday life, ignored and invisible. How much of this city is made up of people like me? Votive offerings gradually merging with brickwork and tarmac with railings, glass and steel. Pretty soon none of you will know I'm here, but I will be, that's the thing. Never giving up, here for when she comes back. And soon, very soon now, she will come back. My Amy in her little red coat, smiling, and eyes alive. And I'll be with her. Be with her always.